and welcome to episode number 221 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Stephen Andrus. Stephen, we can be found on the Twitter machines at Stephen Andrus1, at Matt Brown M2. And of course, you want to follow just the Lions in general on all the social media, the YouTube, the audio versions of all of this. We really do appreciate you guys. Subscribe, rate, and review. Anything you can do to help us climb the charts as we head into this NFL season, it is greatly appreciated we're going to talk some nfc east if you are here for the golf takes we're only going to do a few minutes at the end of the pod so you can jump to the end of this thing if you want to take a look at that if you're watching this on youtube it'll be a separate video so you can go and check out the saint jude thoughts over there but steven let's kick things off here with a very interesting division in my opinion because i do think this thing is pretty wide open when we go kind of top to bottom here outside of the team that we'll kick things off with in the Washington Commanders. I do not think that this team is one of the teams that I'm going to be looking at as a real contender for this division or even a real contender just in the NFL this year in general. I do not like Carson Wentz. If you were listening to any of the content that we made last year, You well know that I'm not a Carson Wentz guy. Steven has known for a long time now that I am not a Carson Wentz guy. I don't think that this was an upgrade whatsoever by the commanders making this move to acquire Carson Wentz. And so for me, I just kind of look at this and I say, what's really better or different about this team, Steven? I just don't really get it. I mean, I understand that the defensive line is still going to be very, very good, if not one of the you know top three to five units in all of the NFL. Anytime that you've got Chase Young, Montez Sweat, you know, you know, Jonathan Allen might actually end up being good. So there is that. But past that one unit, I'm just I'm perplexed as to how this team is is going to win a bunch of games this year. There are a few things I like more at this point in the NFL than trashing Carson Wentz. I think he (laughs) is a terrible teammate. I think he makes excuses for his bad play and has zero accountability. There have been a ton of reports since his days in Philadelphia to back that up. It is really shocking to me to see so much public criticism even from anonymous sources about a quarterback to now have it be a second consecutive team with the Indianapolis Colts some of the stories that were coming out of Indianapolis about them just being completely done with this guy after they were a pretty good team for most of the year with Carson Wentz it it was like day one of the offseason we're done with this guy we don't want him in our building and so so there's a lot of, I think, non-football reasons for that. But let's focus on the actual talent and what we've seen from Carson Wentz on why I am seriously considering just taking a double unit bet on under eight wins for the commanders this season. Washington's quarterback situation the past couple of years we know has not been good. It's been a mishmash of replaceable level quarterbacks, backups. We've got the Taylor Heineke experience last year. Washington ranked dead last in average depth of target over the past two years with those quarterback deficiencies. They wanted to get the ball out quickly and they wanted to get it out near the line of scrimmage so that they could have more accurate passes and hopefully move the chains. Well, Carson Wentz ranked dead last in accuracy on passes thrown within five yards of the line of scrimmage over the last two years. Taylor Heineke was actually third best. So he's not going to help them there. So what about deep balls? Well, Wentz ranked dead last in accuracy on passes thrown more than five yards down the field in the past two years. 
So what about other areas? Is there a place where Carson Wentz might be able to be better than what the Washington quarterbacks have done over the past few years, considering they gave up a second and a third round pick to get this guy? In the red zone, he was 24th in EPA per drop back. In the red zone, he had close to an 11% uh, 11% rate of either a sack or an interception. That was one of the 10 worst in the league. And on third and fourth downs overall, he was 29th in accuracy. So Matt, what exactly is Carson Wentz going to do for this team? Yeah, I, I know. think it I could mean, be I- worse with him. Yeah, if if we if we want to try to find a positive here just because of the division that they play in, they do at least, you know, have the sixth easiest schedule as we head into the NFL season. So again, we're trying to find some positive to talk about here. They did re-sign Terry McLaurin to a long-term deal, so he's not going to be disgruntled in the you know for this team there which he was doing kind of the hold in thing and where he was looking for a new deal. They did take another wide receiver in John Dodson in um from Penn State in the first round so you do at least have a couple of playmakers there for you know for Carson Wentz if we wanted to go that that route but I mean it's just for me all the stats that you just rattled off for Carson Wentz it's kind of to me we know who this guy is you know and I don't know why we are continuing to try and look for this needle in a haystack of of some sort of upside here for this guy. I think it is a, I think the upside here is a middling year. And I think the more likely scenario is a, you know, bottom half to bottom third type year. And I think the, I think the, you know, worst case scenario here is a bottom five year for all starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And I know that seems crazy to say when we have so many young quarterbacks, we have so many guys that are considered to be fairly garbage out there, but I do believe that if this thing goes off the rails with an offensive line that is, again, could be good, but could be bad. It's kind of a middling offensive line as well. So if some of these guys play, you know, higher than where we kind of have them projected, then certainly this could be a decent unit. If this, if some of these guys play below where we have them projected, this could actually be one of the bottom third units in all the NFL. So I think we have enough body of work here for me to look at this team that is the best you can find 80 to one to win the Super Bowl. If we're talking about to win the NFC East, the best you can find is a five, a plus 575, which is actually third best. It's it, the Giants are longer. And we'll talk about the Giants here in a second. I'd rather have a I'd rather have a Giants ticket, Stephen, on to win this division than I would a, a Commanders ticket all day long. Oh, without question. And we'll get into the the Giants stuff in a little bit here, but I'm I'm on I'm just dumbfounded how a team that won 7 games last year and added a quarterback that statistically is not an improvement, and their win totals are higher now. You can get plus money right now on the commanders that have the same number of wins or fewer than they had last year, which doesn't make any sense to me. This team is not better because they have Carson Wentz. Um, and, and if you look at these projections of Football Outsiders, right, so they, they, they simulate the season a million times. <laughs> and and in those simulations, this commander's team has either zero to five wins 21% of the time or six to eight wins 42% of the time. So 63% of the time in the one million simulations that Football Outsiders did, this team finishes with zero to eight wins 63% of the time. 
is what you're getting out of this commander's squad right there. So, I mean, it just, for me, I'm with you. It's, it's almost like, I feel like if I'm going to play a, a bet, which I, I'll, I'll fully admit, I don't have anything in on the commanders as we sit right now, I'd almost be looking at an all under. So I kind of think yeah. if they're going to be bad, they're going to be real bad. Right. And so I'd almost rather take an alt under where I'm getting even pl- like big plus money on them to finish even worse than, than the line is currently set. Yeah, the the lowest you can get on the standard win total right now is under seven and a half at plus one hundred at Bet MGM. To your point, that sixty three percent for the football outsiders uh, between zero and eight wins. If you convert that to a money line, it's minus one seventy for zero to eight wins, and you can get under eight wins at minus one twenty right now. So if mm-hmm. they hit the eight, it's there's some push equity there. But right. you know, one final point on Carson Wentz, because I love trashing this guy. I think he's just <laughs> a complete phony. Uh, if you recall back when Philadelphia was going through the divorce with their coaching staff and then ultimately trading Carson Wentz, there were some articles that came out from anonymous coaches on the fired staff. And one of the biggest things they said was that Wentz couldn't get off the first read or worse, he came up with excuses in the meeting rooms why he didn't throw it to the first read when that read was there and open. And the stats back that up, too, on, on late down situations where you're trying to move the chains. On third downs in the past two years, he's ranked 33rd in percentage of dropbacks ending with a sack or an interception. Now you talk about Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. Carson Wentz sees ghosts, too. So, again, like... I didn't see much improvement on the rest of this roster. I don't see Carson Wentz as an improvement at the most important position. Therefore, I'm I'm looking for unders on on win totals on this team. And prop, I I'm shocked. I can't believe that they're a four point favorite over the Jaguars week one. As long as Trevor Lawrence gets out of the preseason healthy, that's that's going to be an auto bet for me week one. The Jags plus four plus three and a half. Let's talk the New York football giants, shall we? And this is a team that I'll admit I actually have a bet on already. And we'll get to that in just a second. But it is a team that last year, the total DVOA 31st in the NFL, the DVOA on the offense 32nd in the NFL. So it was not good last year by any stretch of the imagination. That being said, Stephen, they go out. We have in a completely new coaching staff in Brian Dayball as the new head coach coming over as the uh, from the Buffalo Bills as their offensive coordinator, a guy that has been highly sought after, a guy that has been very, very well respected in the NFL. They bring in Mike Kafka as the as the offensive coordinator. Where was he? Oh, by the way, he was just the quarterbacks coach over in Kansas City. They got a pretty good dude over there in Patrick Mahomes. And then what I think was a very uh, huge hire, I think it was a huge mistake on Baltimore's uh, part by getting rid of Wink Martindale. But hey, that is a bonus for this New York football Giants team in Wink Martindale coming over as the defensive coordinator. So I don't think we can even overstate, Stephen. Now, let's not, we'll, we'll get to the personnel in just a second. But just the jump alone in the coaching staff from last year to the coaching staff from this year might be one of the biggest jumps in coaching staffs in maybe the history of the NFL going from <laughs> one staff to a new staff. And Brian Dayball's never even coached a, a day of, of, of football for, as a head coach in his life. But I, I feel that confidently with the, with the clowns that were there last year to what they have this year in, in Dayball, who, again, 
I'm no, you know, I'm no scout. I've never coached in the NFL, but everyone that has and everyone that does thinks that this guy's the real deal and thinks that he is truly going to be something special. Kafka coming over after working with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and then Wink Martindale with his just years and years and years and years of experience here. The, the turnover for the Giants, if you're a Giants fan alone, that should at least give you some hope heading into this season. To your point about the ineptitude of this franchise from both a coaching staff situation and the front office, five straight years this team has gone under the win total. And at no point over the past five years did they have a winning record. Not for, not not even like 1-0 and oh, did they have a winning record. They're the only team in the NFL where that's been the case. So I I do love Brian Dable. Like I've joked in our in our slacks that, you know, he's God. That he's God Dable. Like you love Jesus H. Burrow. I'm a fan of God Dable. So this guy, I think, is a prime candidate for a coach of the year award here. He's among the favorites. But if you look at recent history of this award, since 2010, Mike Vrabel last year was the first coach of the year on a team with a double digit win total. But take into account that there was an extra game last year. So, and also since 2010, all but the last two coaches of the year exceeded their win total by four plus games. So we're looking for a coach with that upward mobility and the opportunity to vastly exceed expectation. And since 2010, all but one coach of the year had a win total of at least seven. So we're looking in that seven to nine and a half range. Well, it turns out there's two head coaches in the NFC East that fall under that category. Nick Sirianni with the Eagles, but also Brian Dable with the Giants, who has a win total of seven. But it's Dable that has the easiest schedule in the NFL this year based on opponent win totals. So there is potential here for him to vastly exceed this win total just based on how easy the schedule looks. And over six and a half is minus 135 at BetMGM. Over seven wins is plus 105, still available on the market. I like that plus money. The real question here, Matt, is, is this coaching upgrade enough in year one to overcome the just complete mess that is this roster? And that, you know, some of some people on our staff are bullish on this team, doing big things at big numbers when it comes to futures. I can't really get there in year one beyond just the win total. Yeah, I mean, so look, the there are some pretty key players. I know you're saying key players from a four win team, but th- there were some pretty there are some pretty key players that are out of town, right? Evan Ingram's gone, Jamie Bradbury's gone, Austin Johnson is gone, Lorenzo Carter is gone, Jabril Peppers is gone, Will Hernandez is gone, Logan Ryan is gone. So there's a lot of guys that I, I understand. You're saying, hey, dude, they only they only won four games last year as it was. Anyway, still. Those are some key players. Those are some good players. They're going to go and they're going to have they're going to have good years elsewhere. What did they bring in? They did bring in a right guard, Mike Glowinski, who's going to start for them, who's been a super, super solid guy in the NFL. They brought in a solid backup quarterback and Terod Taylor to back up Daniel Jones in case he either one of two things is absolutely horrible. And they go have to they go ahead and have to just make a a switch or if he does happen to get hurt somewhere along the way. It wasn't really what they did so much in free agency than what they did in the draft that is also, I think, fairly impressive uh, for this team. So they had they were one of multiple teams that had two first-round picks. Steven, they go out with the fifth overall pick and get Tavon, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, and with the seventh overall pick, get Evan Neal. These are two different players that at some point or another leading into the draft process were the favorites to go number one overall in the draft, and they got two of these guys 
with their number five and number seven pick. They have an instant impact guy on the defensive line, an instant impact guy on the offensive line, and then go out with their second round pick and get Wandale Robinson as a guy who I believe is, yes, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him. A lot of people were saying that it's a little bit of a raw skill set that does have a ton of upside here. But again, I like the pick. I like them kind of swinging for the fences on stuff like that. You come back with the two third round picks and take an offensive guard and a corner. I think that what they did in the draft as well did make this team better. I think what this all just comes down to, if you kind of look top to bottom, Steven, for me, it's just, it's what can Daniel Jones do, right? I mean, is Daniel Jones, is he at all good or is he just complete gutter trash? And here's the thing is, I don't think it's fair for us to judge whether he's gutter trash or not from the body of work that he's put together so far, because like you mentioned, this has been one of the most inept franchises with the most inept coaching staffs in the NFL over the last several seasons. So I can't hold it completely against Daniel Jones that that he is just, you know, the worst quarterback we've ever seen and what a bust he is, et cetera, et cetera, because I don't know for sure he's been given a fair shake. I do believe this coaching staff is the coaching staff to give him a fair shake. And so if he's terrible this year, then I think we can go ahead and write him off and say, okay, Daniel Jones isn't the dude. But you look around and you've got Ricky Seals-Jones and and Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney and Sterling Shepard and Wandell. you got Slayton still there as well. you got Wandell Robinson. You, you still you have Saquon Barkley, who says he's healthy. There is a lot going right for Daniel Jones here. And if he can't get it done, then maybe, yes, he is just a, a giant bust. To me, it's kind of similar to, to Jalen Hurts in the first year of the coaching staff last year, where, you know, I basically call that his rookie season. Mm-hmm. I'm basically going to call this the rookie season for Daniel Jones, because I do agree with you that he was put in a situation where, it was almost impossible not to fail with how just awful the front office and the coaching staff was. And the the statistics back that up in terms of stable stats, where he ranked in EPA per attempt, 35th, there's only 32 teams in the league, 35th on early downs without play action, 31st on first downs in the first three quarters, 28th on layup throws. So those stats do concern me because those I feel like are stats that he can control. Um, But even in the less sticky stats, he, he still wasn't good, obviously. 24th or worse when under pressure, outside the pocket, play action, when being blitzed. He was 32nd in fourth quarter EPA per attempt and went on the move. So what is improvement and is that enough improvement is my question here. Because it's unrealistic to think that just because Brian Dable made Josh Allen look like a bad quarterback and made him into the you know, the best in the league, one of the best in the league. I don't think that's a realistic expectation for Daniel Jones. I think it's unfair to cherry pick training camp videos, but for what it's worth, we have seen more horrifically bad training camp videos of Daniel Jones than we've seen highlight throws of him since this camp has opened with Brian Dable. So I think there's going to be a learning curve here. I don't think he's going to go from one of the worst passers in the league to above average. I think it's a Jalen Hurts situation where maybe he can kind of be middle of the road. And is the rest of this roster around him good enough to win the division at long odds or make a run in the playoffs? Maybe they sneak into the playoffs with the the easiest schedule in the league. But to me, the, that's that's it. Like that's the ceiling. And you saw what happened with the Eagles in their in their playoff game against 
the Buccaneers last year, they couldn't move the ball. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. They're, they're seventh in the league with the most dead cap space on the salary cap. And the players they have left on the roster really aren't elite either. So there's not really much there to help Daniel Jones. Yeah, so for me, I played the all over on this team. So I played over eight at plus 215. I think that eight is a fair it's a fair number for this squad. I'm talking about an under five. I'm talking about an under 500 team, and I can still get a push here, a, a nine win team if they can get above 500. And I'm going to cash a plus 215 ticket. Here's my breakdown. One, it's that easiest schedule that you're talking about, and I think it's probably even easier than than what we're looking at from the advanced stats right now, because me personally, I'm further down on Tennessee than most people are. They kick off the season against Tennessee. Now it is at Tennessee, but I'm, I'm further down on the Titans than most people are. I think that is a very winnable game for this team. Carolina's not going to have it all figured out by week two. They play Carolina week two, Chicago in week four is going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. If not the worst team in the NFL, they still play Jacksonville. They still play Seattle. They still play Houston. They still play Detroit. They get two games against Washington. And I am really looking at 10 winnable games for this for this squad here. And I only need them to win, you know, nine of those games. And they're going to surprise in one of these games somewhere along the way as well. Maybe they upset Dallas. Maybe they upset a Minnesota. Maybe they upset uh, one of these one of these teams that we think is going to be good that maybe not Minnesota. I'm, you know, a little bit higher on, but maybe they're not as good this year as, as we think. So I, I am I, I took I played the alt over here and I feel pretty good about it. Uh, you know, listen, is it a likely push? It does eight and nine seem about right for this team. It does. But if they can overachieve just a little bit, Steven, I'm going to cash a plus 215 ticket. And that's kind of how I like to play the Giants this year. Here's what I'm really curious about. I agree with everything you just said, but schematically on offense this is what I'm curious about. I do think the offensive line should be better than what's on paper this year. They were already above average in one in run block win rate last year. They added Evan Neal at the top of the first round, and they have three new interior offensive linemen. Maybe Saquon Barkley stays healthy this year. So all that sounds good for a run game that should help Daniel Jones. But will Brian Dable actually run the ball heavier? Will he adapt and and to his personnel as opposed to the opposite of what we saw with Arthur Smith being run heavy to a fault. Will he be pass heavy to a fault from what his days were in Buffalo? So that's what I'm going to be really looking for early in the season. Will Dable adjust his past tendencies based on his new personnel here? Uh, if he does, I think that should keep the Giants in more games, especially early in the season. Um, because the passing game, I think, is going to take some time for Daniel Jones to learn this offense and figure things out. The secondary lost James Bradbury. They have a bunch of number two corners now that are they're highly questionable. Darnay Holmes was 93rd among cornerbacks by PFF if he had enough snaps to grade in there. Um, the front seven was bottom five in opponent rush yards before contact, so they couldn't stop the run. Some promising signs there for maybe a pass rush, but... Um, yeah, I think I think if Dable is smart, he slows these games down, reduces possessions to maybe increase some variance here where they can come out on the on the right side of it in some of these games. You can find 150 to one on the Giants to win the Super Bowl. And I'm not advocating for making that bet. What I will say is that's an off market number. You can go to the lines dot com. You can look at our odds comparison tool. 
There's an 85 to one out there, Stephen. There's a 66 to one out there, Stephen, for the Giants to win the Super Bowl, while there's also a 150 to one getting hung. Sometimes we make bets just because numbers are so incredibly off market. And all we need is a team to get in the tournament. We saw Cincinnati last year. They got in the tournament. They got hot. They made a run. 150 to one, again, is is an interesting number for a team that plays in such a weak division. Plus 575 is the best number you're going to find on them to, to win the division. So again, uh, New York football giants, I think you and I both are at least a little bit higher on them, or at least the potential for this team in a division that is going to be down in a schedule that should be the easiest in the NFL. Now let's talk to Dallas Cowboys and Steven, this is a team that I am also a little bit further down on, not higher on than most of everybody out there. Mike McCarthy's back, of course. Kellen Moore's back. Dan Quinn is back. The thing is, is they didn't really bring in all that much and they lost a lot. You know, they brought in Dante Fowler. Yes, that is great. They brought in James Washington. They thought was going to be great. Now he's out eight to 10 weeks. So you trade away Amari Cooper. Randy Gregory's gone. Your right tackle in Lyle Collins is gone. Your left guard in Connor Williams is gone. Keanu Neal, your safety is gone. Greg, the leg is gone. You know, I mean, Cedric Wilson, who kind of under the radar was a, was a decent little third option in the receiving game for them is gone. I, I think that, and sure they did get Tyler Smith in the first round offensive tackle. So he can come in and he can, he can play and, and take over for, Lyle Collins being gone. I I do get that. Jalen Tolbert, their third round wide receiver because of the circumstances is going to have to step in. He's going to have to get big minutes for them right off the bat. So he's going to have to play a lot of plays for them. Uh, I just look at this Cowboys squad and what, from what they lost, from what they brought in for the balance that I feel is in this division right now, Steven, I, I, I just don't think they are as big of an odds on favorite to win this division, you know, plus 135, the best number you can get. It's as low as plus 110 out there in the market. I like the Eagles just as much, and we'll talk about them in just a second. Like, I like them just as much or better than this Cowboys squad, and and certainly nothing even relatively close to me putting in a, a plus 135 bet for them to win this division. Matt, sometimes the best thing you can do in betting is, is learning from your past mistakes. And on this podcast a year ago, you know, maybe a month or two into the season, we were all pretty optimistic about the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. They were winning games easily by multiple possessions. They looked like one of the most impressive teams in the league. And at that juncture, we thought, you know, really our only concern at this point is the coaching staff, but maybe they have enough talent to overcome that coaching staff. And then their season ends in the playoffs with a quarterback draw down a touchdown with 14 seconds left from the opposing 41-yard line, and they couldn't get another playoff because of the stupidest play call and maybe playoff history. No team has run the ball with under 20 seconds left when trailing in the last 25 years in the playoffs. So it was like the cherry on top of the cake of the argument that Mike McCarthy is a buffoon. And can this coaching staff get out of the way of the talent on this roster? Because Sharp Football has the Cowboys as one of just three teams that rank in the top half of the league in every offensive and defensive unit. Now, if we dig a little bit deeper, Matt, nine of their 12 wins last year came against horrific quarterbacks. 
Taylor Heineke mm-hmm. twice, Daniel Jones, Mike Glennon, Jalen Hurts, who I'm optimistic about, but he was still basically a rookie last year. Gardner Minshew in one Eagles game. Sam Darnold, Taysom Hill, and Matt Ryan in the terrible Falcons. So how good was this team really last right. year? Six and five over their last 11 games, including the playoffs. And that was, that was with above average health. They didn't have any really big injury issues. So to me, what, what stood out, and, and credit to, to Warren Sharp for noting this, the schematics were horrible. The game planning was horrible. It was completely predictable. When Dak Prescott was under center, they threw it 33% of the time. When he was in shotgun, they threw it 78% of the time. That pass rate difference based on where the quarterback was lined up was the biggest in the NFL. They were absolutely telegraphing to defenses what their likely play was going to be, whether it was run or pass, in multiple different situations. The splits were just as stark when they were in 11 or 12 personnel. And on top of that, there's even more coaching malpractice when you look at the backfield situation. We've now had two complete seasons where it has been abundantly clear to everybody except for Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy that Tony Pollard is far and away the superior back to Ezekiel Elliott. Except in 2020, Zeke had more than 100 rushing attempts over Pollard. And last year, the same situation, 107 more Russian attempts than Pollard, despite the fact that Pollard was better in yards after contact, was better on a per rush rush basis than EPA, and last year was better in success rate. So why should I trust that this coaching staff this year is magically going to make good decisions? You want to give you one more? How about this? They also led the league in penalties last year with 127 of them. So it's it's one of those things where, yes, sometimes it is players' faults, but a lot of times these heavily penalized teams does fall back on the coaching staff from a discipline standpoint, from putting guys in positions to, to, to not succeed, right, to fail. And so 127 penalties for this team, they got away with it because they were plus 14 in turnover margin, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that Micah Parsons had one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen from a defender ever. But it is, it's going to balance out, right? I mean, it's, if they don't, if they don't shore things up from the penalty standpoint, then it's could be even worse than it was last year. You look at the secondary in a passing league, in a league that when we talk about the Eagles in a second, we think could be better. We think that there could be maybe some upside here for the Giants. This is like a bottom third secondary, right? I mean, Trayvon Diggs, Kelvin Joseph, uh, Malik Hooker, Jaron Curse, Jordan Lewis. The, these are all just middle of the pack guys. No standout whatsoever. Whenever you look at this, I mean, look, the defensive line, if anytime you have DeMarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons on the same line, that, that's going to be great. But the times that they don't get pressure and leave it up to the secondary, I think that this team could get passed on and this team could get passed on a good bit over the course of the season. I'm not saying the Cowboys are going to be bad by any stretch. Right. I think that they're going to be, I think they're going to be just exceptionally average. And that's kind of my read on this squad. I have no bet on them. It's more would just be a bet against them because I'm betting on other teams to win the division. I think that the win total number is about appropriate. I think that everything else from this is about appropriate. I think if we look at the projection systems here, it has them in that kind of nine to 11 win window about half the time, you know, and I think that is again about appropriate. So for me, Steve, it's just a team that doesn't move the meter for me. I don't, I don't hate them. I don't like them or love them. They're just kind of meh for me when it comes to the Cowboys this season. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not atypical for the Cowboys to be priced so much so that it's really hard to be bullish on them, right? Like, this is one of the more popular teams nationally. They're going to get a lot of public bets in the preseason. Uh, so it's hard to find value in the Cowboys in any market going into the season because of just that's just the way they're typically priced. 20 so, to 1, the best number you can find for them to win the Super Bowl. 20 to 1 is the best number yeah. you can find. You can get the Ravens, you can get the Bengals, you can get the Colts, you can get the Eagles, you, like Vikings, you can get Raider, Raider, you can get all these teams at far 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 longer number than you can get the Cowboys and so uh, it's, it's like I said, it's just, it's just a no bet team for me. I'll look to, I'll look to maybe bet on them or against them week to week as the season comes around, but really not nothing from the futures market for me. Yeah. We've been pretty pessimistic talking about the Cowboys so far. I do want to give some optimism because I think Dak Prescott is really good and him coming back from that injury last year, I thought he was really impressive. Uh, he was top five in EPA per attempt in standard drops when he was in the pocket on first downs in the first three quarters with no play action on early downs on easy layup throws. So he did his job. He was a little uh, he was also good in less stable stats. Number one under pressure in EPA per attempt when he got outside the pocket. He was still top 10 when he was blitzed. He was still top 10. Um on dropbacks versus pressure, he was sacked at the eighth lowest rate, which is important because if you look at Rich Rebar's research on this, other than turnovers, drives with a sack over the last five years are the biggest indicator of, of scoring difference. You, when you have a drive with a sack, you're only scoring at a little more than 22% of the time. You're only scoring a touchdown less than 8% of the time and you're punting more than 52% of the time when you have a sack on that drive. And, and Dak was good at avoiding that and escaping pressure and being accurate on the run. So it's just a matter of last year was a situation where he was not able to overcome this, the coaching deficiencies and his staff putting him in situations where it was predictable for a defense to know what was coming before the ball was even snapped. So for those reasons, I was looking at at reasons to be bearish on this team at really good odds compared to what it would cost you to be bullish. And I think plus 240 to miss the playoffs is a better bet than under 10 wins at minus 110. I think there's some correlation there. So I think this conference is going to be one with the extra game on the schedule and some pretty decent teams at the top. I think 10 wins is probably what's going to what it's going to take to make the playoffs. I know we had the Eagles make it at nine wins last year, but at more than double the price, why not just take the plus 240 to miss the playoffs if you want to bet against the Cowboys this year? And just given the situation, CeeDee Lamb, now whether that equals production or not, I don't really know, but he should be a target, absolute monster. Oh yeah, uh, fantasy we, machine, yeah, throughout, hopefully. Throughout the course of the season. Let's talk to Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles, if you want to bet them to win the Super Bowl, the best number you can find is a 30 to 1 out there. So there's a 30 to 1. The best number you can find for them to win the NFC East is a plus 185. So be sure and shop around. Nick Sirianni in his second year. The big news in the offseason, they traded for A.J. Brown. They also signed Hassan Reddick as an edge rusher. They signed corner James Bradbury. A linebacker, Kazir White, they un, kind of an under the radar, sneaky good signing for me was a wide receiver, Zach Pascal, uh, Jaquiski Tart at safety as well for this team. So 
go out, draft Jordan Davis in the first round on the defensive line. They get a center in Camp Jurgens in the second round and another linebacker in N'Kobe Dean in the third round that everybody thought had first-round talent. So I think that this Eagles team knocked it out of the park in the offseason, and this is a team that is, we talked about, you know, with the Giants, it's going to revolve around Daniel Jones. No, no, no. This team is going to revolve around Jalen Hurts. It's the second easiest schedule in 2022. He's playing behind the number one rated offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus, as we head into the 2022 season. He's got a receiving core of A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Zach Pascal, Quez, uh, Kez Watkins, Watkins, maybe even Jalen Rager. Who knows if he ever does anything, but a very <laughs> underrated tight end in Dallas Goddard. You have a defense that should be able to keep teams from just scoring all over the place on you, a top 10 defensive line, a top 12-ish secondary as well. So, Stephen, to me, it just everything points to the progression of Jalen Hurts this season. He was actually fairly decent on short and medium-ranged on-target passes last year. He was 12th and 13th, respectively. He was just really bad on deep passes. He was pretty bad against man coverage. He's a young quarterback. He still has things to learn. I I think there's some upside here for not only him, but for this team. I have them already to win this division. I have Jalen Hurts to win the MVP. I have a I have some varying tickets on this team. And again, let's not forget Jalen Hurts is finally going into a second season where he has the same coaching staff intact for the first time in his career. If you remember, Alabama was a coaching factory, right? Guys would come in, they'd have one good year, and they were out the door. And then he transferred out of Alabama and went over to Oklahoma. So this guy's never played with the same coaching staff two seasons in a row. He finally gets that this year with his Philadelphia Eagles squad. I I, I think the I think the upside is massive for this team. I think the upside is huge. And I'm a pretty big fan of the Eagles here in 2022. You are reading my mind, my friend. And for those of you listening or watching out there, Matt and I did not discuss the Philadelphia Eagles before this show. So I was curious to see where he landed. And you and I are are in sync here because I have been looking for a team in the NFC to take some futures bets on because I think it is a lot more wide open than the AFC is where there's, a, I think, a lot of elite teams at the top and it's really hard to separate them. But I can shoot some holes, I think, into the top teams in the NFC. The Packers losing an elite receiver and really having replacement-level talent in the passing game now. The Buccaneers have a 45-year-old quarterback and had to replace most of the interior of their offensive line. Matthew Stafford has an elbow issue now with the Rams. And... Um, you know that I think that leaves an opening here, and the 49ers have a rookie, basically a rookie quarterback. We have no idea how he's mm-hmm. going to be. So, you know, the, the the Philadelphia Eagles, I think, have a Super Bowl run roster around Jalen Hurts already, and the question becomes: Can Jalen Hurts take the next step? Because I agree with you that last year, to me, was basically his rookie season, first year under a new coaching staff, and to the coaching staff's credit. The adjustments they made midseason offensively were really impressive to me. You don't see that from a lot of coaches, especially first-year coaches. Case in point, Arthur Smith in Atlanta last year. But Nick Sirianni in this offense made Jalen Hurts better, and Jalen Hurts did better on a per-pass basis last year from week eight onward. In that span, he threw the ball a heck of a lot better. He was 
po- he was posting a positive completion percentage over expectation. He was top 10 in adjusted EPA per play. And that was despite having the third highest average depth of target from week eight on behind only Justin Fields and Russell Wilson. So for the most part, he was not throwing a lot of easy balls near the line of scrimmage. The overall situational EPA per play ranks from week eight on for Jalen Hurts, slightly above average in the pocket. He was 12th on early downs without play action. He was top 10 on layup throws. All of those were better than Lamar Jackson, by the way. He was just 29th on third and fourth downs, which we know year over year is not a sticky stat. That could absolutely flip this year for Jalen Hurts to be better on third and fourth downs. And oh, by the way, he posted these above average numbers on a per pass basis without A.J. Brown, who they have now added as one of the premier receivers in the league. So yes, I did bet him 55 to one to win MVP in April when they added A.J. Brown. He's now at about 30 to one. But I am a lot more optimistic for Jalen Hurts being able to post a Lamar Jackson type MVP season than I am that he's just not a good passer. I actually think he's a better passer than Lamar Jackson. Well, I look at it this way, too. If if you're talking about a guy that if there's if there's reasons to be optimistic about someone, right, you yes, you add one of the premier receivers in all of the NFL. You add in that he is now with the additions that they have made going behind not just the the best offensive line in the NFL, but probably the best offensive line by a lot in, in the mm-hmm. NFL as we head into the season. Again, underrated Dallas Goddard, the number two rated tight end in all the NFL last year, according to pro football focus. And like I said, I think it's a sneaky good signing of Zach Pascal, a guy that can go out there and just kind of be a chain mover for you. He's never going to have any sexy statistics, but he's just a pass catcher, Stephen. We've seen it when he's had to been when he's been thrust into roles when he was in Indianapolis specifically, when he was thrust into the role of having to produce, he could do it. That's not his bread and butter. That's not really his role. But if he has to be a guy that, that has to go out and make a catch, he's he's that guy. I think that's a sneaky good signing as well. I think that it, you look on the defensive side for this team now. And you have a defensive line that has Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Hassan Reddick and Derek Barnett. You took a first rounder in Jordan Davis now to shore up the this already good defensive line. And then, oh, by the way, you go get James Bradbury to add with Darius Slay. So now you have two lockdown corners and you add Jaquiski Tart at the safety position. So you have a good secondary to go along with a really good defensive line. To go along with the number with you know the, the best offensive line, one of the best playmaking cores around it, it this all comes down to Jalen Hurts. It really does. It's like yep. there's going to be no excuse when everything is all said and done if this team underperforms outside of the fact that the quarterback position let them down because it, it's just it's almost impossible for this offensive line to fail. It is almost impossible for this receiving core to fail. It is almost impossible for this defensive line to fail. It is, it's just, it's not set up for that. There, there, there's even depth behind all of these, these units as well. And so if Jalen hurts has even just a 10% uptick, Steven, from what he was at last year, we're talking instead of 3,200 yards passing, we're talking like 3,800, 3,900 pushing 4,000 instead of the 7,500, 750 rush yards. We're talking the 850 rush yards, one, this team is going to be right up there with what we're considering to be the best teams in the league. And two, 
Jalen Hurts is going to be right up there at the top of the conversation when it comes to MVP. I have that ticket in, in the account. You have that ticket in the account. I still think at 30 to one, it was something I would pull the trigger on because I believe that they win this division. And if you get it, if you win this division, you can always overshoot where we think you're going to be by a couple of uh, by a couple of games as well. Because if you're winning the division, it's probably because one of the teams in the division wasn't any good along the way anyway. And so, uh, you know, tack on an extra couple wins. I, I, I'm I'm kind of all in on this Eagles team. I can't believe it. Yeah, for sure. And we're not saying Jalen Hurts is going to win MVP with 5,000 passing yards and, and no. 40 touchdowns. Like it, it, He can win. The, we, it, Lamar Jackson has proven that total offense can win you the MVP with this crop of voters. So that is in the range of outcomes. So, And let's think about this conceptually, Matt. The Eagles last year were passing a lot, so defenses had light boxes. When they changed it up midseason, they were running at will. They were fourth and first for the entire season last year. I I beg your pardon, from week eight onward, fourth and first in rush EPA and success rate. If you line up with light boxes against this offensive line, they will maul you no matter who the running back is behind there. So now if they're going to go with heavier boxes and Jalen Hurts has a proven receiver who can beat one-on-one coverage and A.J. Brown on the outside, wheels up, my friend. Because now it's pick your poison. So if Jalen Hurts in his second full year in this offense has more liberty to adjust at the line of scrimmage based on how many guys are in the box, that's going to make this team pretty formidable. So, yes, I think the ceiling is there for this Philadelphia team. Like I said, I have no problem with basically any of their markets, Super Bowl, NFC, Mm -hmm. NFC East. Um, You can get an alt win total of plus 170 for over 10 and a half. I don't care that they were one in seven against teams with a winning record last year because nine of their wins, they had nine wins last year, but they were three and five in one score games. So that unluckiness in one score games could still flip for them this year with a better roster than they had last year. And I'll give you one more, maybe like, you know, throw some lunch money on it, Matt. They're basically 14 to 1 everywhere to be the last team to go undefeated, but there is a 34 to 1 at FanDuel. And the early season schedule isn't world beaters. They're not playing like the Chiefs or the Packers up there or the Bucks. Detroit, Minnesota, Washington, Jacksonville, Arizona, Dallas, bye week, Pittsburgh, Houston, Washington. All very much winnable games, and you're getting more than double the price at one book to be the last team to go undefeated. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that is an that is an off-market price and a pretty juicy schedule and a fantastic roster. We are pretty high on the Philadelphia football Eagles, no doubt about it. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. 
Guys, we're going to give you just a quick in the dirty here of the FedEx St. Jude at TPC Southwind. Listen, head over to lines.com. We have just massive amounts of, of coverage of everything over there. But we just wanted to give you some quick thoughts here. It's a par 70, 7,243 yards. Narrow fairways here, bunch of dog legs, 11, 12 dog legs, something like that. It's going to be super penal Bermuda rough. So you're going to want to keep it in these fairways. Now, the greens are small. They're the four smallest on tour, but they're firm, they're fast, they're true. They're simple Bermuda greens here. So if you can get on the greens, we're going to see some putting. We're going to see some putting ex- ex- exhibitions here if some guys can get you know close to these cups here. 11 water holes, that is unfortunate. Most water balls on tour on this course. 12 of the par fours are over 445 yards. So, uh, you know, we're looking at these long par fours, only two par fives. So we're not worried about par five scoring or birdie or better stuff like that, because it's just doesn't not going to play into this 12 of the holes on this course play on an average above par. So if that tells you anything, Stephen, for me, um, again, we have the full coverage over on the lines.com. Not going to get too far into this, but I did run my models here on a, you know, looking at driving. I want guys that have good drives because again, I want them in the fairway. I think we're going to need to scramble since these greens are small. I looked at these par four, 450 to 500 yards, varying stats that kind of fit into all of that type of stuff here. Where my bets came out and what's in the account right now, Sam Burns, um, you're going to get him. You're going to find him about 30-ish to one out there, 35-ish to one, something like that. He's in the top five of all versions of the model that I ran. Shane Lowry, another guy that I don't typically bet, but I can't ignore the model when he is number one in every version of the model Mm -hmm. that I ran. And Tom Hoagie is a a long shot guy that, listen, we've had a bunch of short shots win here recently uh, on tour. I took a long shot here in Hoagie because, again, I'm playing the numbers. I can't get past the fact that this guy is inside the top 20 in just about every single one of these categories that I'm looking at, you know, over the last X amount of rounds. And he finishes in the top three of every version of the models that I'm running out there as well. If you think Victor Hovland gets his stuff back together, it's a pretty long number on him. He's inside the top 10 of all the versions here. And in a, and in a course where putting, I think is, is going to be a little less of a factor from if you're bad at it. Now, good putters are going to putt really well here, but I think it evens the playing field since these greens are so small and they're so true. There's not crazy undulations and all that. I do think Will Zalatoris is also an interesting look this week as well. But again, just the the quick and the dirty here on the tournament and, and the full coverage you can find not only over on the site, but also in our Discord channel. Perhaps a, a Tom Wawa Hoagie Fest for my East Coast boys out there. That could be fun. I cashed <laughs> him at the uh, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am earlier this year. Love me some Tom Hoagie. So th- the board has been interesting this week, Matt, because it seems like the betting public isn't really all that interested in anybody uh, past 40 to one. Um, you know, Shane Lowry is still there at 40. He's been the one guy that's drifted, but Victor Hovland went from 40 to 35 to one. Colin Morikawa is at 33. Sam Burns went from 40 to 31. Um, you know, Tony Finau with his back-to-back wins is as short as he's been at 22 to one, but hasn't really played well here. So, it's giving you opportunities to take some guys and take a leap of faith at numbers that um, are juicier than you would normally get for a world-class golfer, but aren't necessarily peaking in the model. 
Uh, John Rahm at 22 to one could be an auto bet if you believe in him, but I know you have concerns for him off the tee. Justin Thomas is now touched 20 to one. He's number three in the model this week. I have a hard time not betting Justin Thomas whenever he's at 20 to one. I think for me this week, I don't have a lot of conviction. I'm going to be honest with you. Like last week, I was really convicted about J.H. Kim, a.k.a. Tom, a.k.a. the legend, and he cashed for me at the Wyndham. But I don't feel that same conviction about anybody here. The only other name that we haven't mentioned that I'll mention briefly that kind of fell into the same situation as what I saw with Tom Kim last week, a guy that was peaking in the last 24 rounds, but really wasn't searching or surfacing in the past 50 or 36. Sung J M at 35 to one. And we know he's a guy that when the course gets tougher, he plays better. His wins and top fives have been at single digits under par. You mentioned all the water, you mentioned the small and the fast greens. So that could set up well for him, but 35 to one when Victor Hovland's the same price, when Colin Morikawa, two-time major winners, 33, I'm having a hard time deciding between what the model likes and just playing some world-class golfers at at numbers we typically don't see. So that's what everybody's going to have to basically decide on this week. To each their own, we're throwing darts here every week in a golf tournament using the data to the best of our ability. But I think ultimately what I'm going to wind up doing is only making like one or two bets and waiting to see how this turns out in the live market to see if I can pounce on somebody who gets off to a slow start, but I liked coming in. Guys, as always, everything we talk about on this pod, head over to thelines.com. You are going to find it over there. We have awesome, awesome, awesome written stuff going on. And listen, if you want our full betting cards when it comes to the uh, FedEx here, you can join our Discord channel. So head over to Lines, upper right-hand corner. You'll see the little Discord icon. Click on that. Get in there. Mix it up with us. We have some really loyal people who are really talking golf a lot in there. Also, those in that NFL channel is going to be firing up here pretty soon, Stephen. There's going to be a lot of talk going on in there too. So we'd love to have you part of the community this season as we try to win some money in every single sport, every single opportunity that we have somewhere along the way. If you want to follow Stephen on the Twitter machine at Stephen Andrus one, if you want to follow me at Matt Brown M two, and if you're listening to us, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. If you're watching us, go ahead and hit that subscribe button down below. Good luck on all your bets. <laughs>